for a couple of dudes with receding hairlines, we're some smooth operators, bro. And some of us have more receding hairlines than others. <laughs> and what I mean by that is my hairline is on the back of my head. <laughs> Dude, true. yours didn't recede. It straight up retreated. <laughs> it like left. like blonde like super blonde hair people don't believe me until i show them a picture now happy friday to you russ um we're recording uh just just before um uh halloween which is when this is recorded we got yeah. an elect we got an election coming up i'm actually voting early today when we're done podcasting i'm, I'm heading in to vote early all right man good for you good mm-hmm. for you you gonna post a picture yeah dude i'm just gonna put that sticker on my chest i'm gonna post a picture just let everyone know i'm out here doing my civic duty you know, you I mean, I guess saying it on a podcast is kind of like the same thing. Crap, I did it. Shoot, go. I freaking did it. I'm like making fun of everybody else, you know, for posting their voting thing. And and I literally just said that I was voting early. Yep. That's the that's the thing we have to laugh about, right? Like the eventually, <laughs> eventually we become a law unto ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And we and we're crushed by it. Because we walk around a corner, we're like, dang it, I just did that thing too. But that's why God is good and, uh, and grace is amazing and not just okay or all right or pretty good, yeah. but it's instead actually amazing. So My yeah, thing man, is we're- like, I'm just a, to- I'm a single issue voter this year. I got a friend who's running for school board and he asked me to put a sign in my front yard, which is the first like political sign I've ever put in my yard ever. And I used Mm. to coach football with him. He's like, Hey dude, can I put a sign in your yard? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like give me the biggest one you got. And he's like, well, I'm all out of those. So I'll just give you this like regular one or whatever. Oh man. That's awesome. When you were going to say you had like a billboard in your yard right now. (laughs) Dude, I'm just going in and voting for my buddy for school board and I'm walking out. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. Well, yes. Can you imagine? Could you imagine going in just like with one thing? Like all I want to do is vote on this like marijuana issue. That's it. I don't freaking care about anything else. That would be funny, man. And I'm sure there's people out there that do that. Oh, yeah, so sure. cheers to everyone who's voting. Cheers to the opportunity to vote. Cheers to Halloween. Cheers to fun times with neighbors six feet apart as we throw candy at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's like a parade. Yeah. And cheers to this conversation we're about to have right now, which is something we've been chewing on for a while. I'm pretty excited about it. It's a little scary, like Halloween. <laughs> oh, dude, you're making a, this is a killer transition. People are oh. going to, people are going to study this for yeah. years to come. Years. I mean, like, Hey, you ever heard that polished speaker, Russ Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> Some transitions that that dude would bring. Yeah. You should check that out. But yeah, man, this is uh this is a good conversation, a needed conversation, and I wouldn't lie, it can be a little spooky because this is, in my opinion, probably one of the touchiest subjects when you start to really press in on it because it really starts to poke holes in a lot of the things that we have built to stand on, right? That it's it starts to legitimately remove 
all the hooks that we're trying to hang our spiritual lives on. Mm. It, it pulls the rug out from under us, right? In regards to really pursuing, really achieving this like ideal self and building this ideal society to come across the scriptures in a way where you realize, yeah, Jesus actually never said any of that. Mm. Like according to what we can see, if we take him at his word, that isn't at all what he's calling us into. And for our good. It's a topic that we have stolen from Gielis Frazier. <laughs> Just kidding. His name's Giles Frazier. And um, he sounds cool. He's a leader, uh, act, you know, a pastor in London, somewhere in, somewhere in, uh, in England. We came across this talk from him recently, and it was just such a cool like, eye-opener because I think he brought some really cool language to something that we've been talking about for six years now. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's sort of almost uh, in a way of taking a hard look at the foundation of grabbing onto this idea that Jesus came not to improve humanity because it wasn't humanity's need, but to resurrect it. Mm. And this plays right into that. And of course, missing it plays right into eventually just enslaving yourself and enslaving everybody around you uh, to this imaginary self, one that you will eventually be dying under because of your failure to become the imaginary self. We've all been there. We've all fallen short of the law that's been set around us and the ones that we've set for ourselves, etc. And so just to kind of give it a theme here, Fraser says that when, I'm just going to go ahead and just, I'm going to change it up a little, dude. And we're just going to go ahead and quote, you know, we're just going to kind of quote him today through this talk that he did and just let's let's bat it it around. Just bat it around. Just bat it around. Read it. Read it. A little back and forth. A little little, little volleying. Yeah, a little flow, uh, and then uh, and then we'll and then we'll move on to the next piece. But I love this just to kind of kick things off. He says, "I want to propose here in this talk the idea that Jesus, in his teachings, deliberately is trying to provoke a crisis of capacity in all of us. Meaning, Jesus, throughout again his teachings, reveals that we cannot do what morality demands." And morality isn't sufficient for what we actually need. In fact, we can go further and say that when Jesus teaches on areas of morality, he wants us to feel like moral failures, like right out of the gate. He starts hitting that. Now, before we start chopping it up, let me just read a couple of things. Then he backs up and he says, let me give you a couple of for instances. First, he throws out Matthew chapter five, which is part of this thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a name that we gave that just by the way, as in, mankind. It's not actually written in the scriptures as the Sermon on the Mount. But that said, in Matthew chapter 5, we find these teachings of Jesus where he's really taking a lid off, you could say, what God is saying and what God has demanded, what righteousness actually looks like, what's actually required, okay? And so he digs into these various topics that we throw around like, yeah, I'm good to go, man. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not guilty of that. Jesus is like, actually, if you really understand the heart of that command, if you've even hated your brother, you've committed this act. You're guilty of it. So Frazier throws that one out first. And then he goes on to say this after reading where Jesus says, listen, if you've even been angry at your brother, if you've, you know, if you've hated him in any way, then you're guilty of the sin. Mm-hmm. As Fraser says, when it comes to life in the real world, he says, we are all well aware of how quickly our minds jump to indignation towards others. The journey is measured by a millisecond. And if you notice in this passage, Jesus goes on and says that if you even said Raka to your brother, you're in danger of damnation, mm-hmm. which is a real problem for us. 
since there is no translation for what Raka really means. Which, by the way, dude, I just kind of had to laugh there. Yeah. We, we might be guilty of that one, man. Yep. You never know. It's not super clear. No, it's it's uh, <clears throat> it's good, man. And I think upon, I th- again, I, I think that quote from Frazier provides that little bit of a jolt, right? Mm. Um, Jesus is is at work to show me that I'm a moral failure and immediately right especially those who would consider themselves like Christian or at least kind of generally jive in the atmosphere of Christendom are like well hold on a second I thought this whole deal was Mm. to just like be good people like we're the good ones we vote the right way based on right the things that are closest to God's heart um we uh, notice how I didn't say which way we vote, just a general sentiment, right? That we've co-opted God to our political party and our things which we deem as as moral. Everyone makes the moral argument in the mm. political realm. And we think that just, you know, that this is the whole purpose of it, that God came down. Yeah, sure. He died and rose again and all that. But, you know, that was just like to punch our ticket to heaven. And, you know, after that, he's just kind of, you know, our cheerleader and our empower. Um you know, to help us live this good and, and moral life. Yeah. And then he, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's this, again, it's this idea that, you know, we're supposed to be thriving. Like there's this element of becoming something that we're not. Mm. There's uh, this idea of improvement. This is what God demands. And Jesus came to help make that possible. And so what I like about Fraser here is he starts off with this passage in Matthew and he says, look, man, take a hard look at this. If you even hated someone done guilty, if you've been walking, you, we literally could be walking around calling each other Raka for all we know, because there's again, no English translation for this word. I can guarantee you I've broken that law. <laughs> I like Right. guaranteed i got a 14 year old at home i front like i've definitely broken this rule yeah. and i think where it gets tricky is people go yeah yeah i get all that but that's why jesus died you know like he died for those for us and, and our sin and our inability to do this and then rose from the grave so that we could so that we could what and then right there right boom so that we could not not fall prey to this anymore so that we could get it together Mm-hmm. So that we could prove that we really believe, so that we could be worthy of the sacrifice that he's done. And so Fraser, in like how I kind of kick things off is he's saying there's something in us that loves, in, in a sense, just to quote him, he says, we will make every effort to interpret Jesus's words to return them to the realm of the possible. It's natural, he says, to bend the scriptures so that it fits within our capacity to meet it. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool is he doesn't leave it here with just this one example. He goes on and he reads in Matthew chapter five, same chapter that I referenced earlier, verse 27. Jesus says, if you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into what hell? And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And he's looking at that going, man, first I'm hit with, dude, we're, like, we're all guilty of this. Where's the line? Where does it start? Where does it end? And is Jesus really advocating self-mutilation, right? Is that, is that what he's, because he knows that he's come to give his life for the sins of the world. And yet here he is, like, is he, is this what he's really calling us to? Is this what we need to step up and run in? He says, um, 
He says, just as we are all well aware of our ongoing failure with this area of hatred and anger towards other people, which can happen in a millisecond and happens daily, he says, it's an inevitable struggle to notice someone's personal appearance that is beyond our control. He says, but you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to go Freud to recognize that there is an element of the erotic in our everyday lives among people that is impossible to eradicate. So on one hand, we're struggling with, man, I, you know, I feel like I need to do this, but then yet I'm faced with the reality that I cannot overcome this. Fraser says, is it an adultery to notice someone's hair, to smell of their perfume? Does it become adultery when I'm distracted by the dangling of their earrings? And is Jesus really telling us to mutilate ourselves? And then he sort of pauses, and I just want to share this really quick, and then let's chop it up, all right? He pauses there, and he pulls back, and he says, for instance, let's take a hard look at when Jesus meets this guy, this interaction that we're all well aware of with the rich young ruler. You've got a guy that comes to Jesus, says that he's done all that's needed. He's, first of all, he wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, and then goes on to say, I've done all the commandments. I've kept them all. I've done what's needed. Amen. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, amen to that. But if you're really serious about obtaining eternal life, you're also going to need to go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And by everything, he didn't mean some things. Jesus literally uses the word everything, every single thing you own, sold and given to the poor. And then Jesus tells stories of, of camels going through the eyes of needles, presenting once again a case for what cannot be done. I love that point. He says, you see, eventually what morality demands, we find that demands all that we have to meet the need. So what morality demands, demands all that we have to meet the need, even at the expense of harming our families and our very own lives. Why give $100 to help hurting children when you can give 200? And why give 200 when you can make the real sacrifice and give 2,000? Why give 2,000 a month when you could actually just step up and give every single thing you own. You see, what starts as helping a child, if you're not careful here, can turn quickly into the destruction of your very own children, a burden that you cannot and we cannot carry. This is why we opt for the good deed for the day approach to life when we're looking at these teachings from Jesus. To give a hundred a month? Sure. But to give everything you have is to be hungry and homeless and to put your very own children in harm's way, children that you say you love and therefore are called to care for. What morality demands, Fraser says, eventually ceases to be moral altogether. This is why so many injustices are committed in the name of doing justice. However regrettable it may be, human ability has its limits. Hmm. I was like, dude, three examples right out of the gate, man. Yeah, it's a killer talk. Um, I love the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I love the, um, like, take the 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 moral right do the right thing to its logical end well you know well let's do mm -hmm. this well why not this well why not you know this like 2000 why not let it consume your life and then you come to find out well man like when this thing like consumes my life if i'm so wrapped up in doing good i can't help but do evil in the process mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying it kind of reminds me when he says that of um a short, I think it was a series of essays that C.S. Lewis wrote to um, military um, members right around World War II. He was telling them, you could die for your country, but don't live for your country. Mm -hmm. And he was just talking about that idea of soldiers. And I I've never was in the service, nor did I ever see, you know, combat, but I have talked to a number of people who, um, who have experienced that, who have done tours and come back. There's this, there's this um, tendency for it to let it consume you. And you're constantly at war, right? 
like in your head, like it consumes your thoughts and, and all those things. And he was saying, hey, listen, you can do your civic duty. You can sign up for this. Like your country's at war. Like it's good to be a good citizen and like go and fight. You could die for your country, but don't live for it. Meaning don't give your entire mm. self to this thing because that you're giving away something that only belongs to God, right? Like you're giving your thought, emotion, energy, and so go right. on like the basic thing of like, you know, helping somebody in need or giving to a nonprofit or a charity or whatever. You can let it consume you to the degree that, you know, like it you harms just neglect you. your family. Well, think yeah. about all the pastors. Like how many people, how many old pastors, older pastors or retired pastors have you talked to? And they're just like, their, their life regret was that in the, in what was handed to them was this like, be faithful to the ministry Right. to the neglect of your family. And now none of their kids want anything to do with God, church, religion, any of it, because all they were doing was spending every waking minute in their offices, counseling people, all the rest. It's like, dude, it never ends. Wow. It never, ever ends. So I love that point from Fraser because he's showing the black hole that is the never ending black hole that is a pursuit of moralism and morality. Mm. And we don't realize when you try to make this thing like the end goal, dude, you can never measure up and it, the need for it never ends never. and it will can completely consume you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll even start to come up with systems and different approaches to make things happen yeah. in the name of good and wind up hurting people, stealing from people even in the, in the name of helping these other people. So again, sure. what started out as moral became immoral. Mm -hmm. What started out as bringing justice eventually does nothing but can bring injustice mm -hmm. in that name. And so these are just a few of the examples, and I think it's cool to pull back and look and just remind ourselves or know for the first time, when you're looking at Jesus's ministry of teaching, you kind of have two faces to it. On one hand, you have him picking up with where everyone's at, okay? Like speaking to where people are and all their, all their ideas of the checklist that's needed, the scoreboard, right? That they're thinking about, this winner circle that they're trying to get to. Because we think that life's about thriving. And of course, Jesus is always reminding everyone that those ideas have nothing to do, those wants have nothing to do with the cross of Christ. You've completely missed your need. You've completely missed why the Messiah came. The religious right and the religious left both completely missed this. Mm -hmm. in his story. So when he's teaching on areas of like morality, he's not giving us, let me put it like this. If you're not careful, you take the mirror that he's giving us to crush us for our own good. A mirror that he's offering through what real righteousness is and looks like, okay? That crushes us, again, for our own good. What happens is if you're not careful, you take these moral teachings and you turn them into a map that lead us somewhere. Yeah. So again, you're taking a mirror that Jesus gave to crush you and you're turning it into a map to lead you. Mm -hmm. But it only leads to your own burnout and destruction mm -hmm. because you cannot walk in this. Mm -hmm. in, in other words... If we're not careful, our idea of Christianity and good and a better world will become, in a lot of ways, has become devoid of the very death of Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Think about it. The death of Jesus is oftentimes missing in our vision and mission statements. There's no clinging to the cross as our only hope, and there's no laying down our lives for other people because we're not in need of all these other things that we think matter. Mm -hmm. Instead, those things are gone and everything's sort of like, right, painted in this picture, this light of thriving, achieving. And I'm sort of looking at that through this lens and going, yeah, man, this is, this is good. Because what I was saying earlier, just to be clear, 
you have his moral teachings, and then you have his parables. The parables seem to be where Jesus is unpacking what God's like and what's needed and what he's come to accomplish on our behalf. The moral teachings are more like, hey, let me show you what's really needed. But just so we're clear, make sure you hear this with the parable, because if you're not careful, you'll walk out of here and go, all right, let's pull up these bootstraps and make it happen. Let's be yeah. real earnest disciples. Yeah, man, it's... it's um. <clears throat> There's a couple of different directions I want to go here. I would say maybe, um, so Jesus knows that what we need is resurrection. We need a righteousness that's not derived from the law, like Paul says in Philippians 2, or meaning like our own behavior or religion or whatever, right? And so religion really is the pursuit of your own enoughness, righteousness, morality to get to that place where you're like, I'm good. I'm in with God. He loves me. I'm totally right. I'm making a difference. The world loves me. Whether I'm earning it, I'm earning a place there, or I am proving that I have true saving faith. Both are a pursuit of your own righteousness. One's just guised under this like, oh yeah, salvation's by faith alone and Christ alone. Meanwhile, I'm doing everything I freaking can in life to yeah. prove that I'm a true disciple and I have true saving faith. These Whatever. were the people that Paul was always saying, why do you keep nullifying the grace of God? Yeah. Yeah. And if there's anything we know from the, in that, from the Galatian uh, case study, it's that we can get, do, we can understand good news and grace in the most vivid, tangible, concrete ways, our hearts are just going to constantly run back to a yep. yoke of slavery. It's just who we are. Yep. It's just who we are because we love control and we'd love to like have, have it in our hands, mm. right? We, we want to be the ones to just grab onto that thing and, and make that thing happen, which is the frustrating thing about good news is it requires death. It requires you dying to that pursuit on your own and really just letting letting go and trusting in the one who did it on on your behalf. But um, so you're either pursuing a righteousness of your own, or you're trusting in the one who's provided it in his in his son. And one is religion, and the other one is is Jesus. Mm. And so he delivers these beautiful wounds, which is what I've I've always uh, liked to think about it in in those terms. Yeah, they're they're wounds in that he's showing them, dude, you really, truly want to be holy. Okay, well, here's what sexual holiness looks like. Here's what um, relational and friendship holiness looks like. And uh, the one I love is unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. How many times (laughs) have we ignored that teaching from Jesus? (laughs) Like the most polished do-gooders that ever walked the earth dude beyond take all the take the top 10 christian leaders you know and add them together man right like these dudes as you've said to me like these dudes according to historical evidence tithe out of their spice racks yeah like imagine like you know <laughs> imagine figuring out what 10 percent of like this you know like Dill this, sea, this like. sea salt I have, you know, and then bringing that to the temple or whatever. But I think Paul is a great example of, of, so Jesus says this in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Well, Paul's, Paul literally was, a, was an example of this, a real life example of someone who had the righteousness of a Pharisee and a scribe. In fact, he was like top of the class. He yeah, even dude. says in Philippians 2, dude, I was exceeding all of my contemporaries, all my yeah. colleagues. I was like rocking them in terms of behavior and knowledge and all that. every year, every class. Paul yeah. got a glimpse. Paul got a glimpse of the righteousness, the glory, the beauty, 
that is Jesus in his resurrection. And he looked at all of his religious resume and he called it a big pile of shit. Yeah. It's literally, literally in the Greek. In the Greek. Scubula. Yeah. It means dumb horse shit. Yeah. All this righteousness compared to him is garbage. And so Jesus delivers this, these beautiful wounds to us. They're mm-hmm. wounds. They hurt, especially if we think that we're imagining ourselves as somebody like we're yeah. doing good. Like we know we're, we're, or that we need to become good, that imaginary self. Yeah, yeah, dude. And it hurts at first, but it's, there's beauty in dying and it's beautiful because we come to grab hold of by faith, mm-hmm. something that we could never conjure up in all of our good thinking, doing, being, feeling, imagining, whatever. We yeah. can't do it, you know? And, and so that's what he's, he's trying to do that. For our good, he's trying to blow our worlds up. It's like an offense and a defense in that I find just over the last 20 years of walking in this thing called ministry. Uh, there's people who are constantly bringing up what they are about, what they're not about, what they do, what they don't do, what they value, what they don't value, what they're standing for, what they're not standing for, who they're voting for, who they're not voting for. So there's this this bringing this to make these things known. Or there's defending ourselves when we're face-to-face with our own failures and shortcomings by bringing up the things that we're not doing or the things that we're going to do next time. Or, yeah, I'm learning from this, but then please hear me, bro. This is where I'm going next week, man. These are some of the new disciplines I'm putting in place. So, and I've been there just to be clear. And looking at this case, to me, like all of a sudden it makes sense why Paul, who when he got a glimpse of the actual righteousness of God, okay, in light of his list, one, called it scubula, as you said, but two, all of a sudden it makes sense why he keeps telling people, why, why do you keep nullifying the grace of of God. Whether you're bringing your list in offense or bringing your list in defense, either way, if you really understood what was needed, what's been done, what's required, you would stop with the list. You would really start to grab onto what he means when he said, I came to set the captives free. For freedom, Christ set you free. I don't need your list. I don't want your list. You can never complete your list. That's why I teach this way here. And then in my parables, help you grab onto what God's really like, what you're really like, and what I'm doing to bring everyone to the feast. There's a cool beauty in that, man, and attention, like you said. It really does, right, bring a, a beautiful wound. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we, our hearts and our minds, when this beautiful wound comes in and we're faced with the reality of this good news, do we will fight to the death mm. to avoid death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we will literally, you could just say it like that, like, we'll fight to the death. So, you know, in the last, you know, however many years, just kind of, you know, preaching Christ crucified mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just making a mockery of all of our moralism and our morality and our what systems. we have done or what we haven't done, all the lists, yeah. whatever, like what you, whatever your list is, you know, um, dude, your list could be, I listen to better music than everybody. Uh, I wear, uh, you know, Japan origin 14.5 ounce selvage denim jeans and you wear garbage crap from Kohl's. Like that could be your righteousness. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like a, a million different ways we can, you know, imagine ourselves as just better the way we mm-hmm. eat, the way we exercise, what we watch, what we don't watch. I, I have Netflix. I don't have Netflix, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, religion hasn't ended. It's only grown. In fact, all it's really done, I guess you could say, is just migrated into a million different fields now where everyone's trying to find their enoughness. Totally, dude. But it never leads to healing. 
it never leads to hope. It never leads to harmony ever because it can't. So just to sort of close this out, because we could talk on this forever and ever and ever. um, But just to close out this podcast, I want to read just for a minute here. I want to read the end of Fraser's talk because I feel like it just really pulls a lot of what we've been saying together. He says, how does this crisis of capacity that we find in Jesus's teachings work its way out in our lives, work its way out in the life of the church? He says, well, if we are involved in the lives of people, we know that we are often crushed by the weight of demands and our incapacity. We have been beaten. And what makes the church unique is that there is no other body of people in the world by which our failures can be taken, articulated, and held. It's here at the foot of the cross and only at the cross that religion makes a leap, and I love this, from a moral concern to our actual need, the work of salvation. When Jesus was nothing other than a carcass dripping in blood and other people's spit, there were no worshipers gathered around singing hymns and clapping their hands. They were long gone. At this moment of his greatest triumph, where our ultimate need was met, no one was interested. The idea of death before resurrection is something we do not want to grasp, and yet there is no resurrection apart from death. Christianity, he says, properly understood, is a religion for losers. The worst of playground insults. Not only do we not want to be losers, we don't even want to be near losers. We shun losers at all costs and fear that others might recognize us among their number. And as we secretly fear this might be true, we're not losers, we cry. He says this, and the cock crows three times. And I was like, guilty, man, guilty. He said, but here's the thing. The failure of our lives is something we are constantly contemplating in the middle of the night. And it's there in those moments of terrifying honesty before we awake to seize the day that we realize this is humanity. And the constant facade we present to the world is nothing other than us trying to bury the knowledge of our failure. It's hard for us to realize it, but it's true. From dust we came and to dust we shall return. So yes, the Christian story does strip you down to know yourself anew. This is the crisis of capacity. Losers, it turns out, are not despised or rejected. In fact, losers can discover something about themselves that self-proclaimed winners cannot. Mm. And that's this. They are fully loved despite what they can achieve. Dude, there it is. So the next podcast, I'm going to make a suggestion right here and right now. Next podcast, let's talk about uh, grace as a celebration for losers um, yeah. because of that illustration that I shared with you when we were in California last week. But um, on this point right here, um, I, uh, something that I think people need to understand about God's heart. Um, I heard a quote recently. I think it was from Athanasius. God is good. Therefore, he's the lover of humanity. Mm. He knows exactly who we are. Yes. Um and he, he loves us, even though we're piercingly known. Yep. And he did everything needed to be done to bring us into this fellowship with him. And um, the, the, the story or the, the message of the church really isn't so much, hey, um, you can make a decision to make Jesus a part of your life or make God a part of your life. It's more that God has done something amazing for in Jesus to include us in his life, to include us in, in this celebration of who he is and grace is that, right? And mm-hmm. that's why he's saying, dude, put down the freaking list, man. When it comes yeah. to this, this morality game you're playing over here, you suck at it. Yeah, You totally suck. And you know what? I'm not playing that game over there. I'm playing this one over here, right? Which is the reality of who I am and my heart for you, right? 
so all the things that would make you a winner in that circle, they don't count for anything over here because you can't bring anything to the party. You can't contribute anything to the meal, the table, the celebration, the dance, however you want to call it. I've taken care of all the details. I am the host. I've taken care of all the details. It's just me. Yeah, Tony, great word, man. Love the insights. Fraser, thank you so much for just bringing this, uh, bringing this gem, man. Just bringing some cool like language and, and other aspects of clarity around this topic. Very much needed for today. We'll link so, it in the show notes. We'll, we'll put a link to it. For sure. So until next time, peace. Peace. Peace.